by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. Abolition is about tearing down the prison industrial complex, military industrial complex, the police departments. But abolition is as much as about tearing these systems down as it is about building our communities up and reimagining the world we want to live in. So it's not one-sided. It's yes, we're tearing these things down. And it's two, we're also just reimagining the world we want to live in as a whole. And that's Destiny Harris a black queer organizer, artist, abolitionist, and poet. She is our guest today, and I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Well, I'm excited for this interview here on The Coolest Show. Uh, I am with Destiny Harris. Uh, one, she goes to, she's a rising sophomore at my alma mater, Howard University. She is a phenomenal black queer organizer and artist from the west side of Chicago. And she is an abolitionist and a poet. She has worked on issues ranging from abolition and police and prison divestment to anti-militarism and environmental justice. Everything that I love <laughs> in that process. She has worked on the hashtag No Cop Academy campaign in an effort to change the narrative around policing and safety in Chicago. And is currently working around issues of environmental racism and food apartheid. As she interconnects these fights, she's a member of the centers as an organizer and Generation Green as a part of the youth and cultural department, as well as the creatives department. My sister Destiny, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Beautiful morning. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, where, where are we talking from today? Today we are on the west side of Chicago, <laughs> the, the, the part of the city that I so arrogantly rep. <laughs> That's where we're at. Um, That's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, we, I want to get this conversation. One, um, I want the world to know who is Destiny Harris. But before I get to that, um, let's get into just... When you say abolitionist, what do you mean? Yeah, a very loaded question. Um, yeah, no, it is actually. Yeah, <laughs> I could write a book about it. Um, yeah. You may have to, actually. In simplest terms, being an abolitionist to me means reimagining the world I want to live in. Um, mm. For a lot of people, when they hear the word abolition, their mind automatically goes to, you know, no police, no prisons, right? That's like the general, like, consensus around what abolition is um, amongst common folk, right? And yes, abolition is about tearing down these systems that withhold capitalism and withhold systemic oppression against black and brown people. So yes, abolition is about tearing down the prison industrial complex, military industrial complex, the police departments, but abolition is as much 
as about tearing these systems down as it is about building our communities up and reimagining the world we want to live in. So it's not one-sided. It's yes, we're tearing these things down. And it's two, we're also just reimagining the world we want to live in as a whole. So what does that mean? Maybe we want to live in a world where everybody has access to free housing, not affordable housing, but free housing, right? Maybe we want to live in the world where we're all self-sufficient, right? Where we're gardening, where we're practicing sustainability, right? We want to live in a world where we're getting back to our indigenous and African practices and traditions, right? So abolition is as much, is, is, is more, not as much, is more about reimagining the world we want to live in and what that looks like and what real safety looks like to us than it is about like tearing down police and prisons. So in the simple oh. terms that that's what it means to be an abolitionist to me, just reimagining the world I want to live in and I want the next generation to live in and the secure world. I want the next generation to live in, you know, abolition is about abundance. So, yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for that. That's important because I think, um, being a 21st century abolitionist is layered, right? It's real layered and it's, um, and it's, and it is steeped in systems that are much more entrenched. Um, before we get into all that, cause you know, I'm, I'm excited for this conversation. <laughs> just for the world, just so the world knows who the, the world knows who, who, who we have here, who is Destiny Harris? Oh my God. At the, at, at, at the core, I want you to give to the core of the core. Who in your heart, who is Destiny? This is nobody has ever asked me this. <laughs> um woof. Destiny is just I'm not like a black queer woman from the west side of Chicago, obviously, but I am somebody who is walking and living in the spirit of my ancestors, in the spirit of Fred Hampton, who also was on the West Side organizing heavily before he was assassinated by the Chicago Police Department in the spirit of Asada Shakur, one of like the people who just so much of my ideology stems from what I've learned from the life of Asada Shakur. Um, I am a poet and an artist, right? Art in this movement, art, the movement doesn't happen without art, right? So I'm very much so a poet, an artist, someone who not only resists in, in the physical manner and in the organi organizing matter and in the matter of putting my body on the line, but also through my art and through my creativity and the way that I exist. Um, yeah, I, this is, I don't know, I can go, nobody has ever asked me this. Yeah, long time <laughs> West Sider, Black queer woman, organizer, human, living in the spirit of my ancestors, doing this work, and just, yeah, just working alongside my comrades. Um, like you said, I'm a rising sophomore. I'm a sophomore at Howard University. Um, and here in Chicago, I went to high school at Whitney Young. Very diverse school, I guess. Michelle Obama graduated from there. They brag about that. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's who I am. A little bit about me. Nah, I'm a, I'm a, that's what's up. I'm my oldest sibling, oldest of seven. So wow, yeah, that's what's up. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and you're the oldest of seven. Yeah. So I mean, you got a whole crew behind you then. A whole mini gang. <laughs> a whole mini gang. Yes. Man. <laughs> that's what's up. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> so you mentioned it's important because you mentioned, well, thank you for that. And thank you for being just open with that. I appreciate that. Um, and I think that will actually mean a lot to a lot of people to hear, you know, how you think of yourselves. And uh, to me, it's beautiful. And I hope that I know they're going to see it the same way. Um, but you also mentioned um, people who I admire as well, such as Shakur and Fred Hampton. And so uh, when, as we're talking, this is going to be discussed during Climate Week, right? And so, um, which is in New York City, how does, how does Fred Hampton and Asata, when you bring them up, particularly bring up those, um, those warriors, a lot of people, particularly in the progressive community, hear about like maybe, nothing wrong with that, they hear about like Martin, hear about, you know, even John Lewis. Um, they don't hear enough about Asata and Fred Hampton. Um, and you brought it up as, as role models, as, as, as goalposts. So what does that mean for you, not only your activism, but how you organize? Yeah, I think, I think in t today and just in general that there's a lot of like policing of how folks organize, right? There's an idea that there is a right way to organize, a right way to get what you want, right? A certain tactic that you should use, right? We learn about in our history books, we learn about, you know, the peaceful processes. We learn about, we learn about Martin. We learn about Rosa, right? We learn about all these people who use like civil disobedience as a means of resistance and organizing to fight for their livelihoods. And that's extremely valid, right? That happened, right? That's one way that you can go about, you know, organizing and, you know, demanding your humanity. But there's not necessarily a right way to organize. And I kind of want to debunk that very quickly, right? The idea that you should go about it peacefully, right? Why don't we learn about Asada Shakur? Why? Because she allegedly, you know, killed a police officer, right? So, of course, we aren't going to learn that in, 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 in our history books because why? That's viewed as barbaric, right? Very barbaric. Fred Hampton was one of the leaders of the Black Panther movement, one of the mo more visible ones alongside Huey. And specifically, Fred Hampton was the throwing down in Chicago for the Black Panthers, right? And obviously, we know the Black Panthers were listed as a terrorist organization because of the way in which they were armed, right? So, of course, we're not going to learn about that because why is viewed as barbaric, right? They were listed as a terrorist group by the FBI. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one reason that we don't learn about it. And, and, and also, right, and when, when, we, when a lot of young folks that I know and a lot of my comrades, when we, when we talk about abolition, right, a lot of the framework aligns alongside the work of Asada Shakur and Angela Davis and Fred Hampton, people who were Black Panthers or people who were like at the forefront of the Black Liberation Movement, which is still going on today, but back in the 60s, right? And these are people who, who did have uh, methods that were kind of viewed as more militarized. But um, to me, those are the people, those frameworks are like the foundation for all of the work that we're doing today, right? All of the stuff that's happening now, the idea of abolition, it is not new, right? Angela Davis was talking about it in the 60s, 
And so, you know, Black women have always written the framework, right? Black, Black radical feminist texts have always, has always been the framework for all of these movements. Facts. Or, you know, the Black liberation movement, queer and trans liberation movement, right? The, the Chicago freedom movement, right? All Black, Black queer Black, black feminists, but specifically black queer feminist texts has always been the framework and the foundation of this work. And black queer women have, black queer and trans women have always been at the forefront of those movements. And so that, that, that is the, the framework and the, that's what I ground myself in. And so, you know, tactics are tactics. There's more than one way to get what you want, right? You know, there's yeah. like who, you know, they're like, you know, go about it peacefully, go about it peacefully. Well, folks have been peacefully protesting for decades and decades and decades and decades and decades, right? You know, when you can't really tell a, a person um, that's, that's just been disenfranchised by the system for years upon de- and decades upon decades how they should resist, right? You shouldn't, you, 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 you aren't allowed to police someone's anger in the way in which they organize, right? Uh, the all revol- look. The revolution might not be peaceful, <laughs> you know. But there's a there's a quote um, that I like to ground myself in. It's just like, and when especially when you think about the moment we're in now, when a lot of folks are rioting and uprising in ways that you know aren't seen as peaceful, right? The idea that like a riot could never take away what disenfranchisement and what the system has taken away from. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. time, right? Even comparable to that in, in metrics, right? Very small thing. Property can be replaced, right? Items can be replaced, right? A black life cannot, right? So just thinking about that, and so it, it just means to live and organize in, in the spirit of those folks, and, in the spirit of Fred Hampton and Arabi and folks that were doing work, Black Panthers and, and other organizers that were doing work on the west side of Chicago specifically. And to learn from them and to read about how they organize and their tactics and things like that. Nah, thank you. And, and do you think also that one of the things that's important about them um, and why you and, and many others like myself as well connect is because they were authentic? They, they seem like they were true to particularly their love for black people and they were always, and they just seem like they were. They weren't having double conversations, right? They weren't having the talk with us in one room and then going to talk with people in another room and have other conversations. They were so true to the mission. Is that one of the reasons why they are alluring and powerful to you? For sure, yeah. It's just at the end of the day, you you knew that they were. It was not for cloud, or it was not for them to gain power or authority. It was for the liberation of black people at its core. And that, and, and they organized that and, 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 and through different tactics, through different strategies in different ways. And, and yeah, that we still see the results today. We still see the impact today of their work, so. Hmm. Would you consider yourself, Destiny, a revolutionary or a solutionary or both? Ooh, whoa. <laughs> Nobody has ever had revolutionary or solutionary i would say a revolutionary i think that i've never even heard of the word solutionary i've never heard anybody present that to me but i think that when i'm solutionary it's, it it reminds me of like conversations that 
we can fix these systems, right? There's a solution to the problems that these systems are created. But I think that not we're not trying to fix these systems. We just want to tear them down and rebuild them. And not and not rebuild, hmm. but tear them down and reimagine these systems as a whole and reimagine safety and reimagine we don't need prisons, we don't need police, reimagine safety. So they it's not, it's not necessarily about, it makes me think about how when folks, and folks are have, when I hear solutionary, it makes me think about when folks are having conversations about the police and when folks are based in reform and they're like, oh, well, the police are very violent and, and, and perpetuate harm against black people. So let's get them more training, right? Let's get them body cams. Let's pass laws to prevent them from, that sounds solutionary to me, right? That if we give them more resources, then they will be kinder to black people versus me in a revolutionary mindset. It's like knowing that police already, like the origins of police are rooted in anti-blackness, right? And so as a revolutionary, it's like, no, we can't really fix this system when it was founded on the enslavement of black people, right? And so revolutionary makes me think, okay, so no, we just need to dismantle the entire system of policing because we actually can intercommunally police ourselves and keep ourselves safe. So I would say I, the revolutionary and what, you know, with the revolution, we can have solutions to our problem. Yeah. Mm, powerful, powerful. So talk about the, uh, the west side of Chicago. What's going on over there? Give, give folks who are listening in, what's, what's the 411 on what's, what's happening, what, what, what you're concerned on, what you're working on. Give them that info. Yeah, so Chicago has a huge organizing culture. Very, very, like, everybody I know is an artist or an organizer, right? And the organizing culture in Chicago, which I think that sets it apart from a lot of organizing cultures in a lot of other major cities, is that it's majority youth-based, right? So when you think about other places, yes, they throw down, they, they, they organize a lot, but is it centering youth voices, people who are probably the ones that are most impacted, uh, with most impacted by these issues that we're fighting against, by these systems that we're trying to dismantle. And so organizing culture in Chicago is very huge. Um, Chicago is also, because of redlining, one of the, the most segregated cities in the entire nation, like very, very segregated in terms of like socioeconomic status and race. It's, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. You just drive through the neighborhoods and see the difference. Like it's very drastic um, that the, the effects of redlining hit us heavily. Um, and because of that, black folks in Chicago are concentrating on the South side and the West sides, right? And the South side is like geographically 500 times larger than the West side. The South side of Chicago by itself is as large as Philly. Mm. Huge. And the West side is like very small. I don't even know how much smaller it is, but it's extremely small compared to the South side, like 10 times as small. Like it's just not the same size at all. Uh, and organizing culture on the West side, the organizing culture, the South side are very different, right? Um, so as an organized, a lot of the visibility when it comes to organizing in Chicago is South side based because one, it's bigger, like I said, and also it has a greater concentration of like, I guess like, I don't, and this is debatable, but like history and richness, right? When you think about like um, Bronzeville and like communities that were like black cultural hubs, like 
like when blues were emerging, when when jazz was emerging, were places that were hubs for Black people. And when Black people were migrating during the Great Migration, um, down from Mississippi up to Chicago, a lot of them concentrated on the South Side. Fun fact, like everybody in Chicago is actually from Mississippi. Like yeah. facts. That's a fact. <laughs> like actually <laughs> or, yeah, like all of my relatives are all from Mississippi. But because of the differences, um when Martin Luther King came to Chicago, um when after when he wanted to highlight in inequities in the North, remember, everybody was like, the North was good. The North was great. Nothing was happening in the North. And Martin Luther King was like, actually, no, there was massive housing segregation happening in, in the North. And so he, he came to Chicago, which a lot of people don't know, and he held a whole Chicago freedom movement, right? And when he, right. Here, when he came to Chicago, he was specifically concentrated on the West Side. He, he, he was in the North Lawndale community, and most of the work that he did was concentrated on the West Side. And a lot of folks know this, Martin Luther King, a lot of his work was based church, right? Through the uh, Southern Christian Leadership Camp, right? A lot of his work was based in the church. Um, and because of that, that kind of stuck, right? Like, even after Martin left. And so on the west side of Chicago, most of, like, the organizing, like, when you think about, like, elders and older folks who, like, have a history mm -hmm. of organizing, it's based in the church, on the South side, that's not the case at all. And because of that, the South side gets a lot more visibility and it's easier to pull a lot of folks, a lot more folks in, right? Folks are hesitant to come into the movement if it's tied to, towards, tied to the church, right? Mm -hmm. And because of that, a lot of the issues that, a lot of the issues in like organizers, um, when it comes to organizing on the West side, it's harder to get visibility. It's a very frustrating thing because it's like, the same exact things that are happening on the South side are also happening on the West side. Another thing is that after Martin Luther King got assassinated, what was it in 1968? Um, yep. Chicago had the massive riots, right? Um, and a lot of that rioting took place on the West side because that's where he was based at predominantly. And the West side of Chicago still hasn't recovered from like the economic, like, how hard we were hit, like in terms of economics, after the after the riots, after King was assassinated, and so Chicago on the west side has a lot more, not not to like play oppression of the things because you know we all there's a lot of disenfranchisement and disinvestment, whatever, but it just looks very different on the west side, and so it's harder to mobilize people. So that's one thing. It's particularly different to be an organizer from the west side of Chicago versus the south side, and it's like depending on where you live at in the city. The, your life expectancy can drastically change. Like if I live in mm. with one of the largest communities in Chicago, it, it like houses like 50% of the West side and like there are 30 year life expectancy gaps from the West side of Chicago, Austin versus the affluent North side where white folks live. And so the neighborhood you live in can really determine the life you live in the city. That's how segregated Definitely. and redlined it is. So that's that. Whatever. Um, currently now, um, I guess some of the work I'm doing, um, a lot of folk. Thank you for that. that. Actually was very powerful. No, thank you for that. That's an important, um, uh, definitely history of, of the redlining and the background for Chicago. And people don't know that Dr. King actually, people would consider he failed in his Chicago work. They would say that people would say what he did. I mean, fail, failed meaning compared to what they see outside of that, but yeah. you know, and, and also how much he, that changed his perspective of what literally would it for, for white liberals as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like this, the red line, just it just the effects are very visible. Um, yeah, that was just a lot of history. The what the, the Panthers organized a lot on the west side. They they were going around giving folks sickle cell anemia testing because that's when sickle cell anemia was like rampant and avid. Right? They start they did the free breakfast program. The the FBI they were um they would pay the the gangs in Chicago to try and not let the Black Panthers set up. Like they would pay the vice wow. to like the Black Panthers wanted to open a clinic. They would pay the vice lords and the GDs to like stand in front of the clinic and be like, no, like in actuality that didn't work. The vice lords and the Black Panthers, they ended up teaming up. But yeah, there's a lot of like rich organizing history that I'm sure folks can read a book about if they wanted to know, or, you know, I'll send you an article, but just currently, um, some of the work that I've doing, I've been doing organizing for about three, four years now. A lot of the work stemmed around police divestment. Um, in the yeah. Talk about talk about no cop academy, actually. Yes, for sure. So, um, whew, child, where do I start? So at the beginning, at the beginning. <laughs> I don't know if we got enough time for all that. <laughs> but um, just just try and make it as quick as possible. So. Um, Laquan McDonald was shot and murdered by the Chicago Police Department. It was a very visible yep. case, a lot of national attention. Everybody, 16 shots. Yep, every, like, exactly. Everybody knows what happened to Laquan McDonald. And this happened by the Chicago Police Department. It's not, you know, it was one of the cases that got a lot of attention, but it, it, it isn't out of the extraordinary for how the Chicago Police Department operates, right? After Laquan McDonald was was killed, the Department of Justice decided to do an investigation on the Chicago Police Department just because, you know, that was obviously that was very unacceptable. So the Department of Justice was like, how are y'all operating? Um, and so they did a report and they found out basically what we already knew. Like the Chicago Police Department is severely corrupt. They don't practice proper protocols and procedures. They do raids next to elementary schools. Like the things we already know. And because of that, the mayor at the time was Rahm Emanuel, who I believe was chief of staff for Barack Obama. He was he was in Barack Obama's cabinet um, and yeah. at the time he was the mayor. And so he decided to take that Department of Justice report and use it as a catalyst to propose a ninety five million dollar cop academy. His argument was, look, the Department of Justice said that we're really corrupt. This is why we should give police more training. <laughs> that was that was his ideology. He was like, look, they said we're corrupt, so let's spend $95 million to give police better training so that they can be better cops. And instantly, um, Black youth, specifically Black queer youth, hopped on this because of the fact that the neighborhood that he wanted to build the Cop Academy in was the neighborhood that I was living in at the time, West Garfield Park. Severely, mm -hmm. not, a, not a lick of resources, like just, it looks like no man's land, like nothing. Um, a few years before that, during his first term, uh, the mayor had closed down 54 schools, one of the largest school closings in history. He had closed down, I think, three or four in this neighborhood. And it's like when when Axe White, my, my elementary school actually got closed down, was one of the schools that got closed down by his school closings, one of the largest in the history of Chicago. Um, and they were all like black or brown schools on the west and south side. So it was very targeted. And, and the excuse of the city uh, of why they closed down so many schools was that the schools were too expensive to keep open. There wasn't enough money. And so here we are two, three, four, five, six years later. And all of a sudden y'all have $95 million just in y'all back pocket. And y'all want to invest that money in policing. That doesn't fly, right? That 
doesn't make sense, especially when you when 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 time and time again the city is prioritizing police, right? The Chicago Police Department gets forty. Well, back then it was three four years ago it was forty percent, and now it's a little bit closer to fifty percent of the budget. Four point five million dollars a day, one point eight billion dollars a year, and y'all are still trying to invest ninety five mil. Like the idea, the like because Chicago is so violent that we just need to keep investing money into police. That's, that's what politician after politician is believes. But it's like, if policing work, then Chicago would be one of the safest place because Chicago is one of the most over-policed places in the nation. And so if police stop violence, then Chicago would be safe, mm. but it's not. Why? Because police don't stop violence, right? We have to address the root causes of violence, like lack of access to housing and food and shelter, right? And so that campaign it was just to push back on the narrative that like policing bring about safety in the city, and that actually y'all have been prioritizing police year after year, budget after budget, but disinvesting in everything else. Every other body, every other entity, housing, healthcare has been di- disinvested in, but y'all keep investing in policing, right? And so that campaign was to change the narrative around like what actually real community safety looks like when we know that like community safety isn't tied to policing and that it's actually when you think about the safest places in the world they're the places with the most amount of resources why because resources keep people safe um and so that's what that campaign was it was supposed to be a few months and it ended up being like two years it was like a two-year campaign and a lot of it we organized in a lot of different ways we like suit the city through freedom of information acts we like mobilized like the city council to try and get them we have 50 members a part of our city council so we would go and meet with individual aldermen uh host like um host like um community meetings and town halls like we we bought like that campaign was one of like is one of the most influential campaigns in chicago history one because it was predominantly youth-based and two because it really shook up electoral politics like we made the cop academy one of the biggest issues of like the mayoral election that just passed the one that Lori Lightfoot won like there was not a panel not a forum a mayoral forum not a debate where the cop academy and policing in Chicago wasn't an issue that was brought up and so that was that campaign in 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 simplest terms I did not do it justice in that explanation but it was also no, just no, that was back the that, that was amazing. Thank you. Also, it was just pushing back the narrative that like the very reformist narrative that like with more training, police or police will be nicer to black people. Like, because that was the that was the mayor's and everybody else's main thing. Like, we need to give them more training. We need to give them more training. And it's like, well, you you don't need to give someone a state of the art facility to teach them not to be racist, right? No amount of training is the right. bit of racial biases in the system that, in the, 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 the roots of, of policing, right? To keep black people enslaved. Like it was, it was gonna be, uh, uh, the police academy, they were modeling it after like the New York, the, the New York police department, which is like one of the largest police department in the nation. Like they, they wanted to model our, our this facility after their facility it was going to have like five swimming pools very state-of-the-art like waste of money right they were going to build it next to a predominantly black school which is like one of the things in the department of justice report is that you're not supposed to have a police training academy near to a school so you're going to take 
the current one and just take the one that's already there and make another one right near school. And then I'll say like a last thing on this campaign. Another reason that I got really involved was because one, at the time they wanted to build this cop academy in my neighborhood. But also fun fact, the high school that I went to was also near the current cop academy. So mm. they wanted to build one in my neighborhood and the high school I went to literally is door to door with the current cop academy. And I knew that that wasn't a good idea for numerous reasons because I'm smart, but also because the current cop academy is door to, was door to door with the high school I attended. They would do things like they would do mock shootouts, right? And not mm. tell us until after the fact. And so my, my principal would come on the intercom and be like, oh, if you hear gunshots, it's just the Chicago Police Department next door practicing. Don't be worried. Right. Or because it because the that's crazy. The, yes. Because the training academy is full of like thousands of trainees. We, whenever we would go out for lunch because we had open campus, it's just thousands of trainees. Right. One time I saw them like pulling a gun out on a black man. And apparently it was a a. A, a mock a mock arrest thing but it's like how how are we supposed like folks don't have the trauma behind that like already living in a community that's severely over police then going to school at a very resourceful school my school was selective enrollment and magnet like very privileged but also having to leave when, when leaving campus or when going home seeing that being re-traumatized by the police trainees next door so it's like Police are in school. Police are in my community. Police are at home. Like they're everywhere. You know what I'm saying? And so, but that that was that was what the No Cop Academy campaign was. Um, mobilized thousands of of youth. Like we had, like we built an entire coalition of like eighty plus orgs that supported us. Like it was, it was some good stuff. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 That I mean that that definitely for many of us who watched that. We, we were we were thrilled to see the success. And I just got to say, for those who are listening um, to you, Destiny, you're not 45 years old, right? You're not like 45, like like a sophomore at Howard, right? You're not like you know, those, those older people who go, who, who go back to college, right? So you say rising sophomore. Just so they know, um, uh, uh, how old are you now? I'm 19. Yeah, that's crazy. You sound like you got mad wisdom, which is great, nah, nah, and I love it. I'm, and that we, I mean, you, I mean, it, it, it makes me as an activist excited to hear just your thoroughness of how you're you're looking at it. I want to get more into that activism side, but let me get to a little bit of the culture side. This this is one of those. This ain't the trick. I, I can't give another Howard person no trick question, so that's not going to happen. But I can give you what that could be a little difficult. And this might be your most difficult question uh, of, of the day. Uh, so who are your top five Chicago artists? Oh, no. Don't do that. <laughs> this is going to be a little controversial. Let me... It probably will be. Yeah. Why Why you have to do this? <laughs> yeah, I know. This is, this is, I tell you, this is going to be the toughest one for the day. I, I'll get back to all the activism questions in a second. <laughs> I get back to all the how we gonna tear the system down. But before we tear the system down, who who you listening to? Oh. Come on, Destiny, don't hold back. Don't, don't, don't get don't get a, a Chicago shy me now, man. Don't, don't be don't be hold back. Okay. Don't be. You talking about abolishing the police and tearing down Rahm Emanuel and everything else? Now top five, you know that's political in Chicago. So who are your top five? Oh my God, don't do this. Okay, so. <laughs> 
okay, so Saba is one of my favorite. I don't know if you know who Saba is, but he, he's one of, uh, he's a rapper here in Chicago. Can you hear me? Okay. He's a yeah, rapper yeah, yeah, yeah. in Chicago, and he's one of few rappers that is from the West Side, and he is so raw. Um, so okay. Is he, is he the one? Is he one or five? Are you counting down or counting up? He counting down. Oh. Okay, you, I'm asking you. Are, are you counting up? I mean, is he five or one? Oh my God. Well, okay. Let me start over. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Whew. Okay. So number number <laughs> five, number five is Chief Keef. Uh, obviously, you got to put him in. Okay. You got the the cultural influence like alone. Like he's in there. He's in there. But I'm gonna put him at number five. I know that's real controversial. Um, number four, I'm gonna put Kanye up there. Okay. His politics are horrible. He is a, like, but pre, like, like I have a graduation. I don't know if you can see, but I have a graduation <laughs> on my wall. Like, <laughs> like that album does a lot for me. Um, Chance is a, I'm gonna put a Chance as an honorable mention for now, but he's one of my favorite. But Chance <laughs> also back there, like. Uh, I'm gonna put him as an honorable mention. Um, okay, so yeah, so we got Chief Key five, Kanye four. We're gonna have we're gonna put uh, Chance on the side for right now for honorable mention. Okay. Uh, this order is so messed up. Uh, this uh, I'm also gonna put. Um, damn, who I'm gonna put at number one? <laughs> oh no, um, I'm gonna put. Um, I'm gonna put Saba. I'm gonna put Saba in there at number. At number three. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. So I got got over Chief Keith, Chance, and Kanye. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's he has facts. A, okay. Yeah, that, All right. It's a really messed up list, but he has a special place in my heart because he's from the West. Yeah. It's, West. it's your list. It's um, your list. Um. Oof. Okay. This one is debatable. Smino is not. He's from St. Louis. He's not from Chicago. But all of but. His style of rap is Chicago. Like he said it himself. Like he's a Chicago. He's he from St. Louis, but he's from Chicago. Like, and I'm gonna put him in there. And number two, that's yo. This list is so messed up. And number one, <laughs> number one, drum roll, please. Oh man, this is hard. Yeah, child. I don't know. I don't know who number one. You oh, oh you you got it. You got number one in there. Come on now. You know what it is. You just, you just want to say it. You know it's you gotta go ahead and say it now. No, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I'm gonna put a little four up there. Okay. He's not number one. Yeah. This list is so messed up. But he's also from our West, so Okay. You want to? I mean, you want you want you want you want to restructure it now? You want you want to just no, I, I give you a chance. To, I'm not even gonna put you, my you want, do that. Do that. I'm gonna put okay. I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna do Chief Keith one. I'm gonna. Okay. Do, I'm gonna do um, Kanye two. Okay. Um, I'm gonna do Saba three. Uh oh no! I'm gonna do Smino three, Saba four, and Love four five, and then Chance is honorable mention. But I love. I love Chance so much. He might be in there somewhere. He he he. He he used to be my favorite artist, like Acerat, Henday. Oh. oh, yo, I completely tweaked. No name, no, no name is like number three. <laughs> like she's number. Three. Yeah, like this list. Of yeah, two. 
up, but no name is like number two. Like, get, get, get that, you get that, that Howard math going on now. You got two threes. What, 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 she, what we got going on here? She like, she like all of all of men fine. She rawed and all of. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I was gonna ask you. We had we, we gotta have either some some women or 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 someone from the queer community oh, gotta no, be on no, the no, yeah. I, I can list a lot more people. <laughs> Look, that's why I said it's a lot of pressure. We got No Name. We got Raven Lanay. Like, we got Rick Wilson. Like, there's so many people. That's why I'm like, this is so hard. I've never, I never ranked them. Like, <laughs> but yeah, look, Chicago artists are amazing. Like, I'm, I'm convinced we have our own, like, subcategory of, like, rap. It's, like, rap for poetry. And it's, like, but mm. no, no influence. But also, like, a juke and, like, footwork, like. Yo, don't get me started. We're raw. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you know that's what. No, thank you. So now we're gonna have uh, our producer going to put that. He's going. He's going to put that into like a little, a little, little thing that we can play. So we're gonna put your top. We're gonna put your five, and no name is on this, on this, on this three twice, right? Make sure I got your list. Hmm? No name is on there as as part of. No name is three. We got two threes. I got two threes. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I think so. That's okay. Yeah. That works. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Now, I just want to say, from my standpoint, I want to say shout out to definitely. I'm, I was going to say no name. I was waiting for you to finish. I want to say no name is going to be on my list for sure. And then, um, uh, and then, uh, Vic Mensa. Oh, and oh. then, uh, oh, oh, oh. Uh, you got uh, our producer said you got a 3A and a 3B. I love that. I love that. Yeah. He said you got a 3A and a 3B. So, so you, so you good. So you good on that. Vic. Uh, Vincent went to my high school. Yeah. How are you going to forget? That's my, so Rick's on my list. So uh, I, I give you my list. Well, Kanye ain't, ain't on my list. I ain't going to. Politics be damned. He ain't going to be on my list. <laughs> I, I love Kanye, but he ain't going to be on Politics be, I'm, listen, that means a lot. So It does. So, but uh, yeah, it means a lot. Nah. So uh, definitely, actually, I got no name as one. That sounds about right. I got I got Vic Mensis too. Vic? Uh, Common Common's on my list at three. Um, Love Common. Yeah, chances four. And then I actually I agree with you. I'm actually uh, um. I think I got either I I would I, I may have G Herbo. Hmm. Um. Or Chief Keith, just from a standpoint of what they mean to the streets. Yeah. And that they influence. Yep. So yeah, so that's a little that's a tough one. Right. But but you gotta have the street influence is important, you Vic. know. Vic. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. So your uh, activism, how no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was gonna say Vic Mensa used to be good. <laughs> the, oh man. The, the autobiography was a good album, too. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, Vic, Vic is Vic. I mean, artists. I mean, you, you can't judge. I mean, they judge them by their their catalog, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody, everything is different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so about that for you, actually. So, where do you see? So, one before I get to all, where do you see you and your catalog as an as an activist? Where do you? How does COVID and environmental justice play into? the abolitionist divestment movement as oh, well. Absolutely. I think you see that like like if you didn't see how how like abolition and environmental justice were connected before, COVID definitely should have like opened your eyes to like the systemic like 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 
COVID exacerbated all of the instances of systemic oppression that Black people face, right? COVID didn't create them, but it exacerbated them. And, and it's, the, the lines are very clear. Like, for example, um, I live in Austin, like I said, it's one of the largest, if not the, it might be the largest neighborhood in, in Chicago, right? And it's a food desert. Mm. That's, Explain for those who don't know what a food desert is. Yeah, so it's, it, it is, everybody has different definitions, but in, in essence, it is it is a neighborhood. And also, yeah, and explain it from the standpoint, because those who are listening, I know from from, from the from our, our Pan-African movement would say that a desert is natural. So explain it, Part-time. what you mean. For, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you, you want to be strategic about language, but in, in essence, it is a community that doesn't have adequate access to to um I don't want to say food but food and supplies for the amount of people that live in that neighborhood. So let's say you have a neighborhood where there is like there should not be a neighborhood it is heavily concentrated but there is one grocery store, right? That is not adequate access, right? That means you have to travel a long way. That means that that one neighborhood is providing food for everybody. Like and it is just not enough in that one grocery store to feed, you know, hundreds of thousands of people or, you know, uh, 20,000 people, 30,000 people. So in essence, it is a community that doesn't have adequate access to, it's a food insecure community, right? But it's strategic. So it's not like people kept coming into the community. It's like, oh no, wait, there's too many people and there's not enough stores. It was just like, it was, it's strategic, right? It's it's a result of, of redlining, it's a, revo- a result of like disinvestment on the hands of the city, right? They approve, they approve for new stores and and um, Whole Foods to be put on the north side, the affluent north side, the suburbs, and you know the the downtown area all the time. So it's not like they that they don't have the power, right? It, it's strategic placement of resources, and so Austin is like I said, one of the largest neighborhoods in Chicago, and there's all of like two stores, right? And so an interesting fact about Austin is that it is like, it's as west as West Coast in Chicago. And so it's it's located near the west suburbs, but it's not, it's the hood. The hood is hood gets, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's located near a suburb called Oak Park. And there's literally a street that is like a dividing line. Like it is, the red lining is just like extreme divestment wealth. Like, you literally, one side is your investment, the other side is wealth. And so people in my neighborhood literally have to travel to this suburb to get food. Like, mm. we're going to spend our money in their na- in their mini suburb. They're not coming over here to spend their money at all. Like, and there's, like, all of, like, one Walmart for, like, just an absurd amount of people. And so there's extreme inaccess to, 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 to food. Um, and that is an issue of when a lot of people think of like the, you know, environmental justice and environmental injustice, they're thinking strictly climate, but environment is everything around us. Environment is where you live, the, the neighborhood that, that you live when you walk out, what do you see, right? Where do you go to school? All of that is included in environmental justice, right? So when you think about environmental just, environmental just outside of the context of climate and weather, it's like, well, food insecurity is an issue of environmental justice, right? Gun violence is an issue of environmental justice, right? Um, and so just to go back to how this connects to COVID and how abolition connects to COVID. So 
at the height, not at the height, but at the very start of COVID. So it was, it was like March, April, um, 70% of the people dying from COVID were black. Now you might, and it's not because people, 70% of the people going outside without masks were black. It was because of the systemic inequalities. And so when you think about it, right? So when you think about it, what happens? So COVID is, is, is a disease that is, is a virus that affects the respiratory system, right? Um, and why 70% of the people dying from COVID are black is because a lot of our communities are built on wastelands, right? And so our air quality is already lacking. There's already a lot of particulate matter in the air. And so COVID, <laughs> airborne, you know, it's, it's, it's spread through the mouth, right? Respiratory, right? When you have that virus occurring on lands that are already have poor air quality and already, right, are like we're already breathing in bad shit like obvious that's gonna we're gonna be more susceptible to COVID another thing when you think when you see when you see that like all the folks the folks that are um dying from COVID um they often have underlying disease the number one being hypertension right hypertension is sometimes most times caused by what obesity and also um massive intake of unhealthy foods why why are we massively intake unhealthy foods because one we don't even have access to stores let alone healthy food stores let alone a whole Mm -hmm. let alone uh um what's the other one the other one, but like, yeah, we don't have access to, to where, 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 where do, most days, where do we go? We go to the corner store, right? Mm. The corner store doesn't have fresh fruits and vegetables. The corner store doesn't have greens and beans and all, and, and you know, healthy options, right? Um, another thing, um, in Austin, which is a neighborhood that I live in, there's a term called couch surfing, right? Um, and couch is when someone is housing insecure and they sleep wherever they can, right? So one day they're mm. up, next day they're at that friend's house. If you don't have anywhere, if you don't have a safe space to go to sleep or lay your head, how are you quarantining, right? How are you protecting yourself from this virus? And on top of that, uh, when COVID first started and even now, there were massive amounts of testing centers put on, an, on the affluent north sides in downtown. When you think about it, that makes no sense when the people that are dying and are most impacted by this virus are in the predominantly black and west, predominantly black south and west sides. Why are you refusing to put testing centers? You're putting testing centers everywhere but around where people are most impacted, right? So that's another reason why um, a lot of why, why, why that happened, right? We, we talk about even more like specifically how COVID is the abolition. Well, at one point, um, not at the beginning, but towards the middle of like, so like June, July, Cook County Jail was the epicenter of COVID. It had the most amount of cases per day yep. than any other place in the United States. Why is that? Folks incarcerated cannot they cannot quarantine. They, 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 they do not have access to PPE. They're, they're, they're being, they're being refused access to PPE, right? They, they, they can't go out and get fresh air, right? Um, 
right? How are we protecting? I think COVID really highlighted how, how this country does nothing to protect folks that are incarcerated during times of like pandemic and crisis. Like when you, this makes me think about how, um, and again, how this is connected to environmental justice and climate change, how um, during Hurricane Katrina and how in some prisons, they have protocol where you just lock the inmates in. You just leave them like, like there's nothing done to, to protect them and to ensure their safety. You just, during, during, during the hurricane. Yeah, no, that's real. Just, I mean, I'm from, yeah, I'm, I'm from, I'm from Louisiana. So I was, I remember that situation. Yeah. And so it's yeah, like, crazy. That's, that's, that's abolition at its core, right? This, this is how, this is how incarcerated folks are treated. Like they're disposable, Right. right. There, there. Th this, 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 this prison industrial complex, this prison system is, is very punitive, right? Why, like, you know, someone, you know, a lot of folks that are, in, are incarcerated are incarcerated because of the criminalization of drugs, are incarcerated because of petty crime, petty crimes, right? And petty, like, nonviolent acts, right? So, so why, when hurt, why? How is that ethical? It's not. The prison system is not ethical. It's very unethical, right? Um, and so again, like that's another thing. Like the Cook County Jail was like, why are we? The, the, at the, when at the height of COVID, the mayor was threatening to anybody that was outside, mask or not, like outside in the park or whatever, that she would arrest them and send them to to, to jail, right? So you're telling folks you're going to take their bodies off the street and send them to the the COVID epicenter? <laughs> like no, no it's crazy no 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 you know you know no, it, it was it was a it was a crazy crazy situation yeah um no nah, destiny listen you are like i said man you, you we, we gotta when you when you get well we gotta connect because you are man you are i can tell you are just a a force um and this time went so fast i i would love before we go um um, I, have, I have one more other question, but I would love for you to give one of your poems. You can you can grab your eye, you can grab your you grab and read it. it. Doesn't matter, but I would love for you to give some to the people that you've written and you're on mute. You're, you're on mute. Oh, okay, sorry. You want me to no problem. start a poem or something? Yeah, what are your poems? Yeah, yeah. I know. I know you got a. Ah oh, man. What, it, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is easier than the, uh, the top five, though. This is definitely easier than the top you five. You think so? I don't know. <laughs> uh, give me one second, because I, I wrote a poem about this. Okay. Mm. Oh, man. Um, hmm. Can I use profanity? Is that allowed? <laughs> you definitely can. 100%. Um, okay, I'll read this little short excerpt. It's a poem I wrote about the connections between um, environmental justice and abolition, basically. Um, so um, it said, had niggas asked me why work on climate justice when police are in our homes, in our schools, and killing us on our streets. Heard niggas say that this one ain't our fight. And to that, I ask, what color is the skin of those still without clean water in Flint, Michigan? 
And to that, I ask, what color is the skin of those kids experiencing food apartheid? Those kids whose trip to grocery store be scavenger hunt, be an I spy game of disinvestment, be 20 minute ride just to find somewhere to buy food. And to that, I ask, what color is the skin of those living in PTSD every time sea levels rise? Those whose lives were ruined by the catastrophic waters of Katrina, a storm so pervasive in its damage is known in our communities on a first name basis. And to that I ask, every time another white man wages war over access to Mother Earth resources, what color is the skin of those bodies they pick to be disposed of this time? What color is the skin of those people whose lives are constantly flashing before their eyes the name of red, white, and blue? So don't tell me that this ain't our fight. Don't let Sunrise convince you this issue doesn't concern us because I resist against police brutality and illegal pipelines. I'm pissed about the injustices in Flint and Ferguson. We shutting down shit in Minneapolis and alongside our indigenous comrades of the Seahawks tribe. So yes, it's free all my niggas and free Palestine. It's fuck 12 and fuck Israel. It's defund CPD and no doppel because we deserve to feel safe in our environment, in our homes, in our streets. I fight for every black kid who falls victim to the school to prison pipeline because they missed too many days of school due to asthma attacks caused by toxic waste. I fight for every black family with the history of cancer, for every kid in Flint who drunk water to satisfy their thirst and now has brain defects. I fight for every one of our communities placed strategically on wastelands. I fight for all the native land turned naval land and for the hundreds of black and brown skinned Greta Thunbergs whose struggle ain't valid enough for CNN coverage. That was a small, really small excerpt, but yeah, that was that. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was my yeah. That was phenomenal. Thank you. That was great. Yeah. Destiny, if folks want to find you, where can they find you? Okay, so on Twitter, it's at 606hoodlum, H O O D. L-U-M or Lori Lightfoot is a cop. <laughs> um, and then um, Instagram is hold, like hold, W-H-O-L-E dot hearted dot hoodlum. And yeah, those are my social medias. Um, follow me on Twitter for all the organizing updates in Chicago, how you can support youth and black folks on the ground. And yeah. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100% which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people.